book of Matthew, chapter number 3, and we'll start uh, our next uh, section in this uh, series of messages that we've been doing on the victorious Christian living. We're going to talk about the moral, and I I don't really like that word because it's not a Bible word, uh, but the the moral teaching of Jesus, that is the teachings of Jesus with regard to practical righteousness, day-to-day uh, righteousness. Moral has to do with uh, mores, that is the accepted cultural norm for right and wrong. And that's, that's not a good term for anything Christian because we don't, we don't determine right and wrong by culture. We determine right and wrong by the Word of God. But, uh, and, and, and for those of you that, that might think the only person uh, that God wants you to listen to is, is Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul didn't write a single word of the Bible. The Holy Spirit gave us these words. They're the words of God. None of them were the words of Paul. And, and the Word of God, in the Word of God, the Apostle Paul said, Be you followers of me, even as I am of Christ. So you can't follow Paul and not follow Jesus. He said, If any man consent not to, to wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we don't throw out what Jesus said as though he was some inf- some, somebody inferior to an apostle. There's no apostle on the throne, Jesus Christ on the throne. And apostles uh, came and went, and New Testament prophets came and went, and pastors and teachers and evangelists come and go. But Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the head of the church, he's the chief cornerstone of the church, and he's everything in between. He's, a, he's our all in all, and all things he should have the preeminence. And so we're going to take a look at uh, for the next uh, few sessions together at what Jesus taught us about how we're to live our day-to-day lives. When I started in on this, um, I came across something that was a real blessing to me. It really, really just thrilled my heart. And if you've got a, a, a red-letter Bible, this will be easier for you to see. The words of, of Jesus are in red in some Bibles. I've always wanted to print one that was all red letters since... <laughs> Pretty much the whole thing were the words of Jesus, but you, you understand what we're saying. When, when Christ walked this earth in a body of flesh as a man, the things that he said, certain Bibles put them in, in red letters. I want you to listen to this. Just to, we, we won't look at the verses just yet. I just want you to listen so you're not distracted by turning the pages. These are the first six things Jesus taught as recorded in the book of Matthew. Now, he said, wish you know, I must be about my father's business. That's in, that's in Luke. We, we get to Luke later after Matthew. But, but if, you, if you just start in the New Testament, these are the first six things Jesus said. When I read this, you know, men didn't put the Bible together. God, God put the Bible together. Now, listen to this. Number one, and Jesus answering said unto him, suffered to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Number three, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Number four, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Number five, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Number six, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You couldn't lay out a better plan for your tomorrow... You couldn't lay out a better set of instructions for each and every day of your life if you stayed up all night with the greatest religious minds on earth and tried to come up with a, with a, with an order of, of service or a code of conduct. 
the first six recorded sayings of Jesus Christ pretty much take care of, of, of whatever you will need every day this week and every day next week and every day of the week after that if we could just walk in, in accord with these, these statements, these truths. These first recorded sayings of Jesus, well, let, let's, let's expand upon them just, just as a whole and then we'll look at them one at a time. Here's what he said. First, we should be righteous to the full. Such conduct is becoming of those associated with the holy name of God. That's a pretty good starting place. Second, we may have all material possessions and provisions, but without God's words, there is neither true life or real meaning to life. Third thing, it's not gleanings from the Bible we need, but every word of God. Fourth, temptation is a part of life, but it must be sternly refused. That'll take you through through the entire month of April. This will take you through the entire month of May. Fifth, we are to worship only God. Sixth, we are to serve only God. Seventh, repentance is needed by all. Number eight, the Lord desires to rule and reign in our hearts right now. Ninth, we are called to follow Jesus. Tenth, He desires that we pull others from a world of sin and bring them to Christ. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of any of the Bible. But if that's all you had... As a saved man, as a saved woman, if that's all you had, that would keep you occupied from now until you drew your last breath. And if you were so occupied, you would live as good a life as anybody's ever lived. Just following those first six things that Jesus ever taught. Let's take them one at a time. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter number 3, if you're not already there. Matthew chapter 3. And for, for context, in verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And verse number 7, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism. And verse number 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? Now John is absolutely right in his preaching. He's absolutely right in what he taught. He's absolutely right in in warning the wicked to flee from the wrath to come. And he's absolutely right in telling Jesus, you are my superior. If anybody here should be taking the lower place and being immersed by the hand of another, I, John, the sinful man, I, John... Of the son of Adam, I should be under your hand being placed in the water and raised up again by your power and might. Uh, uh, Lord, you, th- this thing should be reversed. I should be the baptizee and you should be the baptizer. And he's right about that. Jesus is superior to John the Baptist, no question about it. But verse 15, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, 
For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. Jesus said, it's right, John, it is right for you to be righteous. It is right for you to do everything that you should do. But Jesus said, John, and it is also proper, fitting, meat. It is, it is also necessary for me to do everything that is righteous and everything that is just. Now, listen, that's important. We find that good men, ministers, sincere women, devout persons, in and out of church circles, religious people in our day, they tell us there's no requirement for full devotion. And there's no requirement for exceptional righteousness. They call it legalism. They call it fanaticism. They say we don't understand grace. And Jesus Christ said, It is necessary for me, the Son of God, to do everything that is right. It is, look, he went, he went farther than that. He said, John, I don't need to meet your expectations of righteousness. I don't need to meet your understanding of righteousness. I need to meet the Father's expectation of righteousness. I need to go farther, John, than you think I should go. That's Jesus Christ. Now, I'm called to follow Him. I'm not called to follow some modern liberal minister. I'm not called to follow some, some modern day carnal church member who whines and, and moans and complains about anything God asks them to do or any suggestion there are commandments. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth said, John, I need to do what is right. I need to do it even if you don't think I need to do it. And John, I'm going to let you talk me into a lesser position of righteousness because you don't understand how holy I'm supposed to be. You know something, just because somebody doesn't understand why we would obey the Lord's commandments, why we would sacrifice our lives to Him, why we would seek to walk in the, in the very light that He has shined upon a very narrow pathway, I'm not going to let even a good man like John the Baptist talk me into a lesser place of obedience. I'll tell you something else. Not only most professing Christians, they scoff at the idea of obeying God this, this fully and to this extent. A lot of people with the power to cut corners do so. A lot of people with the place and the prestige and the name and the reputation to do wrong, do wrong. You know, they, the line worker under the eye of the supervisor, dare not steal. But the supervisor, with none watching him, might just pilfer a little bit. You understand? The person under authority is not as bold to violate the rules as the person with the authority. Who's going to call the dictator into question? Who's going to question the man of God? That authority carries with it the ability 
to do wrong and get away with it. Now here is God manifest in the flesh. He doesn't have to be baptized if he doesn't want to be. He doesn't have to join the rabble standing by the bank of the Jordan River and wade out there and get his garments dirty. He doesn't have to have the hands of that wild man, John the Baptist, cover his nose and mouth and plunge him into the waters. He doesn't have to have the sinful arm of John to raise him up out of that water. He can do whatever he wants. He's the Son of God. You want to challenge him? He can open up the earth and swallow you straight down in the pit. You want to challenge him? He can get on a white horse and trample you to ashes. But he never used his power to sin. He never used his authority and his might to cut a single corner. Though he was God Almighty and could have done as he wanted. What he wanted to do is what was right. And what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches in the very first thing that he ever taught is, don't do right because you have to, do right because it's right. Don't fulfill the commands of God because of what will happen to you if you don't. Fulfill the commands of God because God's way is best. Those people, those scribes and Pharisees, those those people of Judea, they needed to repent. They needed to be baptized. They needed to prepare their hearts for the coming of the kingdom. Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed. Jesus didn't need to prepare himself for the coming of himself. But he looked around and he said, you know what? If God told that man to do it, and God told that man to do it, and God told that woman to do it, and God told that woman to do it, what would it say to them if I didn't? I'm not going to show disrespect to the least of God's commandments. And he waded out into that water and let a man who was not worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoe plunge him into a picture of death. You know what Jesus said? The first, the first thing he ever said to us, do right. Not because you have to, because, because it's right. Not because of the consequences of not doing it, but because it's right. Just do what's right. That's Jesus. All right, let's look at the second of our verses. Come to, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter number 4. And we'll start reading at verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, As written, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, in the second of our verses, a man who has not eaten for 40 days is offered the opportunity to use his power to satisfy the legitimate needs of his flesh. He didn't say turn these stones into a golden calf. He didn't say turn these stones into cash and money and dancing women and, and, and crowns. 
Come on, 40 days you haven't eaten. Bread. Make these stones bread. And I see no reason why it would have been sinful to turn these stones into needed food. But Jesus preferred the words of his Father to the satisfying of even his most basic physical needs. It's not even a question, at this point, at this moment, we're not even bringing into question what would have been sinful about it or how it would have been sinful or that he would have been taking a suggestion for the devil into that. Look, here's what Jesus did. I'm hungry. I could make myself some food to satisfy my hunger. But what I prefer is the Word of God. It's not wrong for us to use our talents and abilities to provide things needed and necessary in our lives. It's not wrong for us to sustain ourselves. It's not wrong for us to put a roof over our family. It's not wrong for us to put bread and food upon our table. It's not wrong for us to clothe our loved ones. There is nothing wrong even with enjoying life in this temporal world. There's nothing wrong with that. But will we consider God's every word of greater importance than even the most basic and fundamental needs of a man or of a woman? That's what Jesus taught here. Let us live to echo these words. Job said in Job 23, 12, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It is not wrong for you to shop or to garden or to play in the yard with the children or to earn money and put it in the bank. It's not wrong for you to to get a car. It's not wrong for you to, to read a book. It's But do you do all those things to the neglect of the Word of God? Or do you do all those things in light of the Word of God? The f- Here, Satan, hey, hey, Satan, what you want? I want you to do something. What's that? Well, feed yourself. Jesus said, there's something else I'd rather do. I'd rather live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, not, now my question to myself, to you, what, what Jesus presents to us here is this. Do you have a, a, a Bible reading time? And then when you finish your Bible reading time, now I have a job and a family and a house and a recreation schedule. And a, and then when I've done all that, then I go back and I have my Bible reading time. Listen, that's better than the people never read their Bible. But what Jesus taught here is eating food should not be separated from the Word of God. Providing the basic necessities of life should not be separated from the Word of God. Whatever we do tonight, there's scripture for it. Whatever we don't do tonight, there's scripture for it. Whatever circumstances we encounter this week, there's scripture for it. Whatever interactions we have with people this week, there's scripture for it. Am I allowing the word of God? 
to be the preeminent thing in all of my life. Not just my church life, not just my religious life, supper time. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Oh, we do like to pick our way through the Bible. I'm not against devotional books. We have them. There's many that I recommend and there's a lot that I've enjoyed and gotten a great, a great blessing from. When a preacher starts picking the verses he wants to preach on, he's leaving out a lot of verses people need to hear. When a Christian has devotions around the verses they're interested in, they're leaving out a lot of verses they should be interested in. Every word of God, every word of God is necessary for my spiritual well-being. You know, there's some people, they, they live to a ripe old, ripe old age, and they don't follow the dietary rules of other people who live to a ripe old age. Some people don't spend much time with veggies. Some people, it's not the green leafies, it's the orange carroties. And some people, it's, it's, it's white bread. And other people, it's only whole wheat bread. And some people, it's pressed on. Listen, I'm telling you something. People live long and healthy lives eating all kinds of different things. Some people smoke and live to be 80. Some people never smoke and die at 35. That's a fact. That's just, that's just fact. Some, some people eat properly and die in an automobile accident, and some people eat junk food and, and eventually kick the proverbial bucket at 80, 85 years old. Who can understand these things? Nobody can understand these things. Look, the fact of the matter is, you can get by physically without eating everything. You know what Jesus said? You can't get by spiritually just feeding on certain doctrines. You can't get by spiritually just overemphasizing certain things from the Bible. It's every word of God that man needs to live the full and complete life that God would have for him. Now I can go into a, a buffet place and, and I can say I want some of that and I, I don't want any of that. And I'd like two of those, and I don't, I, I'll go zero on that. And I can live that way. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sicker or healthier based upon either one. In fact, if I eat something that's that, that I don't like, I'm liable to get sick while I'm eating it. <laughs> Food's a funny thing. But you know something, when you pick up this Bible, you are not to say, I'll have two of those. And none of those, I don't like that. And give me a big helping of this, but I'll pass on that. You know what the Lord said? Every word. Every word. Every word. You'll not be healthy if you don't eat, if you don't eat every word. 
You'll not have a balanced diet if you don't eat every word. I'm so scared of these people say, we just go by this part of the Bible. We just read that part of the Bible. We just, we just teach these doctrines. We stay away from those doctrines. You know what that is? That, that's, that's a recipe for spiritual malnutrition. Jesus said every word of God. I'm not under Leviticus, but I sure learn a lot about my God from that book. I thank God I'm not, a, I'm not a natural man under the sun enduring the misery of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. But I sure find a lot of cause of rejoicing and a lot of insight into witnessing the lost people reading Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon has very little effect upon my life because I have, have not too much idea what it's talking about. But when I read through it, I get a blessing. I'll read it, I get all inspired to be more romantic, and I'll tell my wife her teeth are like a flock of goats and her her navel's like a pomegranate. And it must mean something in the Hebrew it doesn't in the English. <laughs> my wife never appreciates being told she has hairy teeth. <laughs> My teeth are like a flock of goats. What is that? <laughs> Thy dimples are like armadillos. You know, it's, it's just... How do you write Song of Solomon in a modern version? That's got to that's be weird. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the third thing that Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 7. Reading from 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, we, we hit on this and taught on this in 1 Corinthians 10, and here it is again. Jesus is reminding the devil that a man should not trifle with the Almighty. He's a God of all grace. He's a God rich in mercy. He's a God who is love. He's a God of compassion. And Jesus said, don't mess with him. Don't tempt the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Now you think about that. Does God have the power to chasten? Why would you invite Him to do it? Does God have the might to bring a man to a place where He cries out for mercy? He does. Why incite Him to do that? He is a God of grace, and I rejoice in His grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of, of, of love, and I, I, I'm so happy for that. But I've read too much in the Bible. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. Now, you can throw that verse in the tribulation if you want to. I'm God's child. I'm a son of God. To as many as received Him, them gave power to become the sons of God, even them believe on His name. 
He has received me in Christ. I'm accepted in the beloved. (laughs) I don't want to try him out. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's my Father. He's the Lord. He's my Savior. He's God. Now let me ask you something. Just just in light of what we've already read. If Jesus, who didn't need to be baptized, submitted himself to baptism because it was the right thing to do, If Jesus, who didn't need to be prepared for the coming kingdom, subjected himself to that sign of preparation because it was the right thing to do, if one of his children disobeys and blasphemes, and do you not think he will deal with that because it's the right thing to do? See, We rejoice, oh Jesus, he does the right thing. And there's a great lesson in righteousness. Well, if it's the right thing for a parent to bring a disobedient child into line. And if the scripture has clearly told you how to bring a disobedient child into line. Do you not think a righteous God will deal with a disobedient child in the way that he set forth in his word? Well, I don't think we ought to be afraid of God. I don't think. We... Well, that's fine. But Jesus said, "Don't tempt him." That's what he said. I want to go over something with you. We we hit on this Friday afternoon. The the um, Stetson students, a couple of them, were impressed by a green-haired woman who brags about wanting to have relations with other women while they claim to be reject the Bible because they're scientific. You know, that there are few things, a few things that are more contradictory than homosexuality and science. But anyway, on, on her... Uh, one of the things that she has on her sign is that she's an atheist because she doesn't want to live in fear. And the argument is that the only reason that we are Christians is because we're afraid of God. Okay? Now, let's talk about fear just for a minute. Because whether you want to believe in God or not, or be a Christian or not, fear is is a, a daily motivating factor in your life. When a person's driving in a 50 mile an hour zone doing 70, and a half a mile up ahead they see a policeman with a radar gun, they do not slow down because they love police officers. There's a policeman. I love police. I want to show the policeman how much I love him. I'm going to slow down so I can make him happy. You slow down because you're afraid of what he will do to you if you don't. So you can hold a sign that says, no fear, you don't have any fear. Yes, you do. If you have a job, what you would like to do tomorrow is go into a job that was both a government job and a union job. So that you could not be fired for not working. Trust me, I had one of those for for several years. 
You know, it's hard to, it's hard to yell at a guy and tell him to go faster when you can't do anything about it. But those of you that have, have jobs in the real world that, that have to make a profit, and they hired you to help them make a profit, if you could clock in tomorrow morning and do nothing, but if the boss caught you doing nothing, you could lose that job, guess what you're going to do when the boss shows up? You're going to at least make it look like you're working. You know what that is? That's fear. That's fear motivating you. I asked the students, uh, there are two in particular that just, every time you, you give an answer, they, they roll their eyes and you want to say, what are you looking for? You don't believe anybody's up there. <laughs> this one girl, she had nothing but contempt for everything we said about the Bible. She said she's a sociology major. What could be any funnier than a kid whose parents can send her to a $40,000 a year private college to study wealth inequality? Think about how, how hilarious that is. And you, rich kid, what do you think about poverty in the ghetto? And you, millionaire son, what do you think about, about wealth redistribution? It's, it's a riot if you, if you can think about it. But So anyway, so, now look, you don't want to be here. The only reason you're here is that professor required you to be here. And you don't want to study for the test, but the only reason you're going to study for the test is he's going to call you to account for what you're supposed to know. Now, why would you think there's something wrong with a Christian fearing God and doing what God requires because it's more beneficial when your entire life is governed by that very principle or you have no government in your life? You know that woman standing there with that sign that says, no fear? You know what she hopes? I said this Friday, I'll say it again. She hopes the crackhead who comes to, to beat her up and steal everything in her house is afraid of going to prison. That's what she hopes. Because if he if he's not, if he imagines there's no heaven, imagines there's no hell, and imagines there's no police, and imagines there's no law system, he's going to rob her. That's what he's going to do. So when you put no fear on your sign to make fun of Christians, you're just displaying a monumental ignorance of life. Because she wants bad people to be afraid to do bad things to her. And when she calls the police, she doesn't want the police to say, just smile at them. (laughs) Tell them you're not afraid. She wants the cops to come and enforce law. So, anyway, you know what Jesus said? Whether you like the school teacher or not, don't tempt them. Whether you like the boss or not, don't tempt him. Whether you like policemen or don't like policemen, don't tempt them. If we got nukes and all you got is, is slingshots, don't tempt us. Unless we got a leader that's on your side and then you can do whatever you want to us. And if there's a God who can chasten severely, don't tempt him. Don't tempt him.
All right. Next thing the Lord said. Matthew 4. Keep, keep on reading. Verse number 8. Again, the devil take them up to see the high mountain and showeth him all the kings of the world, the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. How about that? The word does is certain. We are not to parlay with the devil. We don't chat with him. We don't converse with him. We don't entertain his ideas. We don't weigh the options. The moment he speaks, we tell him, hit the road. Fair enough. This is what Jesus is teaching about day-to-day life. The devil offers you the world. Tell him, keep moving. He offers you all the kingdoms of the world. Tell him you're not interested. We draw an eye to God. It's also a reminder that worship is not optional. It's commanded. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. That's a command. Not for Sunday at 11 a.m. For life. Every hour of every day, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And Him only. Not God and the Miami Dolphins. Not God and the the top recording artist of the day. Not God and the movie stars. Not God and mammon. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only. You got to make money, make money. You got to pay bills, pay bills. You got to rub shoulders and function in a society, do it. But worship God. Worship God, Him only. Shalt thou serve. Now look again, it's not optional. Jesus said, thou shalt worship Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Serving God is not optional. Serving God is commanded. I know it's looking, what are you going to say that for? Are you kidding me? You know how many people went to church this morning and, and they, they called it the Sunday morning service? Yeah, right. That wasn't service, that was sitting. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was listening. That was a folded up one dollar bill in the offering plate. That's not service. Those poor, those poor ushers, man, they're back in the back. 50, that was quick. 20, 20, 20, 20, that was quick. 10, 10, 10, 10. And then it slows down because they got to unfold about $201 bills. <laughs> now, we don't pass an offering plate here, but if you're having a church that does, let me give you a little hint. When you fold the bill, everybody knows it's a one. <laughs> so so you're, you're not hiding the fact that all you're putting in is a one. That's That's... That's a dead giveaway. Nobody folds a hundred, so nobody knows they're putting a hundred in. It kind of goes like this. <laughs> My dad was a bank president, you know. He said he's down to bank one night and he heard voices in the vault. And he went over and, and the, the money was talking. And a hundred dollar bill said to the fifty, said, where you been? He said, man, I've been to the restaurant. I've been to the ski lodge. I've been on vacation. How about you? And the fifty said, oh man, I've been to the mall. I've been to, uh, you name it, I've been there. 
And they, they looked over to one dollar bill. He had a big frown on his face. They said, where you been? He said, church, church, church. Nowhere but church. <laughs> yeah, man. Him only shalt thou serve. Two hours fixing up the yard flies by. Two hours knocking on a door, handing out tracks. Unthinkable. Hour and a half putting new paper in the pantry. Got to be done. Half hour handing gospel tracts to people on a street corner. Somebody else can do that. We all serve. We're commanded to serve God. Him only shalt thou serve. I appreciate being a church full of people that serve God. We're serving God is enjoyed and desired and planned. And let's add something else. Let's do something more. Let's, let's stay another half hour. Let's, let's drive another, another mile. I appreciate that. It's encouragement. But it's not optional. Not optional. All right, Matthew 4 goes on to say this. This is the fifth time Jesus speaks. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the fifth time that Jesus speaks, we're we're learning about life now from Jesus. We're learning about the life He lived and the life He would have us to live. The fifth time He speaks, He tells those who would preach for Him to begin their message to one and all with a command to repent. Might not be in some soul winning books. It might not be in some how to manuals. But Jesus began with repent. That's what he said. The sinless Son of Man is the measure, and not a soul fails to come short of that mark. We do not all sin alike, but we all alike are sinners. The order from the Lord of Lords to everyone breathing is repent. Change your thoughts to God's thoughts. Change your ways to God's ways. The list is longer. Brother Lou went over it this morning in the Sunday school hour and, and, and said it well. These instructions also snap us out of bondage to the sight of our eyes. And they remind us that whatever the condition of the present evil world, whatever circumstances are surrounding us, The rule and reign of God is very nigh. It's very nigh. When Jesus Christ said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Rome and all of its pagan idols are ruling the world. When Jesus Christ said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had so corrupted the Jews' religion it was almost unrecognizable. And with the government wrong and the religion wrong, Jesus said, I'm here. Kingdom of heaven's at hand. That's Matthew, that's a Jewish thing. Yeah, you can read Luke. He said the kingdom of God's at hand at the same time. Because he's the king. He's the king of both. And you know something? Whether Bush is on the throne, or Obama's on the throne, or Hillary's on the throne, or they make a big wide throne and put 16 Republicans on the throne. No matter how corrupt it is, no matter how evil the laws are, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Come on, now, some of you don't, don't burn your brain up trying to dispensationalize every, every word everybody says. Every, no, just, just, I'm telling you, if God can't rule Washington, if God can't rule Tallahassee, there's no reason he can't rule your heart and your life and your home. And he might not have had control of all Judea, but he sure had John the Baptist. And he might not have control of the entire city of Jerusalem, but he sure had a handful of men there to help him turn it upside down. And I'm glad to know that though Jesus might not overthrow the kingdoms of this earth tomorrow, he can help me overthrow pride and lust, and he can rule in my heart. And I'm glad to know that though Jesus might not set foot on the Mount of Olives day after tomorrow, He can subdue this piece of property right here. And I can subject myself to the Lord of Lords. And I might not be able to get my neighbors or my co-workers to repent, but I can repent. And you might not be able to get a single person in this town to repent and subject themselves to the King of Kings, but you can. And then number six, still in the fourth chapter. Look at verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Now, I guess our disposition and our circumstances will determine how we hear these words. Are we being commanded to make Christ our leader? Well, of course we are. But it's, it's, it's different than that. It's an invitation. It's an incredible invitation. In a world where almost everyone seems completely confused, Jesus says, follow me. In a world where it seems almost everybody is making really bad decisions and we've made more than our share. The Son of God says, follow me. In a world that just seems, it seems like nobody's got an answer. Jesus says, follow me. Isn't that amazing? The fireman breaks into the burning building and he puts out his hand and says, follow me. The sailor, trained in rescue at sea, dives into the water and reaches out to the drowning swimmer and says, Come on, follow me. And the Son of God says to people whose lives are pretty turbulent, Follow me. Follow me. Come on. I I know how to do family. I know how to do friends. I know how to do suffering. I know how to do heartache. I know how to do children. I know how to do old age. Come on, come on, follow me. And how we'd latch on to that firefighter's hand, how we'd latch on to that rescue swimmer's hand, and how reluctant we seem to be to take hold of that hand of Jesus. Follow me. 
He bids us walk with Him through the maze, directed by His wisdom and led by His love. We don't have to stumble about in the dark. We can walk in the light as He is in the light. And then how about these words? Maybe you don't have education here tonight. Maybe you don't have training here tonight. Maybe you've got a bad upbringing, a bad background here tonight. Maybe you've made some, some horrible messes of things from time to time in your life. I don't know. We've all, we've all done some things here and there. Brother Lou, could you check in the lobby, please? Maybe we, we, we've all done some things. But look what Jesus said. I will make you. It's not, it's not even I will use you. It's not even I will help you. It's I will make you. This is the Creator. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and He says, I will make you. Christ offers to make us more than we could ever hope to be by birth. More than we could ever hope to be by training or by education or by force of will. We try to improve and we don't. We try to get better and we fail because we're just us. Jesus said, I will make you. These are men who had a lifetime of training in catching fish, mending nets, selling their catch, patching up the boat. That's what they've known all their life. And Jesus said, I will make you earth-shaking evangelists and ministers and preachers of the gospel. Impossible. But he did it. Those men couldn't possibly turn the world upside down, but they did. Because he made, the, he made them what they weren't. He made them what they couldn't be. Lord, you know I'm not brave. I will make you. Lord, your will is too high for me. I will make you. Lord, I I can't seem to be the man or the woman that you want me to be. I will make you. Lord, this call to love is beyond me. I will make you. Lord, these commandments, (laughs) they're contrary to my nature. I will make you. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you. Everything God wants you to be in this Bible, He can make you that man or that woman. It's incredible. What we've been up to this time may be overcome if we'll follow Jesus. What we lack can be supplied if we'll follow Jesus. Young man, you could be a missionary if you let Jesus make you. I'm not talking about force you. I'm talking about create, to form, to fashion. Sister, you say, well, you know, this whole thing about wife and mother, uh, my mom just, oh, it was just awful. My my family situation, it was just terrible. My my past is, you know, Jesus said, I'll make you. I'll make you. There wouldn't be any point in doing anything in a prison but telling people how to get saved if Jesus couldn't make them. There'd be no point in doing anything but giving the plan of salvation the rescue mission if Jesus couldn't make them. 
Once a person takes their first fall into some unrighteousness, some shameful act, the best you could hope for is having them trust Jesus as their Savior and just leave it at that. If Jesus couldn't make them. But He can make you. He can make people that know nothing but slimy little scaly fish. Those who catch and train men for Jesus Christ. That's what he can do. Now let's, let's just listen with me together to the first six things Jesus ever taught. And just think what your life would be tomorrow the day after, the day after that, if he'd said nothing more but this, and we let him do these things in our life. Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you realize that if every day of my life I fulfilled all righteousness, fed on every word of God, ignored every temptation made by Satan, Worshipped and served God only. Lived as though the kingdom would be established tomorrow. And followed Jesus so he could make me what I could never be on my own. What a life that would be. I tell you, every time I study my Bible, I'm convinced it is not the work of man. It is in truth the word of God. You couldn't have selected a better foundation for a lifetime of teaching than what Jesus set forth in the first six things he ever taught. If he said nothing else, that right there would make us what we ought to be. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son into this world. We're so glad he died for our sins and rose again so we could be saved, but we're also glad that he taught us how to live a life, not just a life pleasing in your sight, but a life that would prove to be pleasing to us. A life of peace and joy and satisfaction, contentment. And thank you so much, Father, for all that you've done for us. Help us to take heed to these words of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. We had a request today we didn't get to, so we'll finish up the day. Number 70 in the blue book. Come while we sing if you'd like to pray. Join those that are at the altar here tonight. Number 70. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Come while we sing.